DNB Tech Minute gives you the day's top tech headlines, from the big names in Silicon Valley to the halls of power. If it's making news in tech, we've got it. Check out TNB Tech Minute in the Tech News Briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal. From the opinion pages of The Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. President Biden releases his budget for fiscal 2024, setting up a clash with Republicans in Congress, but perhaps more important, setting up his priorities if he runs for re-election and uh, for 2025, if he happens to win the presidency again. We'll tell you about some of the major proposals and what they tell us about the Biden agenda. Welcome. I'm Paul Gigo, editor of the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal, and I'm here with my colleagues, budget uh, hawks extraordinaire, Kyle Peterson and Kate Batchelder-Odell. Welcome to you both. We haven't all seen the details yet because those details have just been released, but the broad outlines and the major proposals have been leaking the administration in advance. White Houses like to dribble out as much news as possible on these budgets over some days, and we've been getting some of the details. Let's just give me a little list of the tax increases, raising the corporate income tax rate to 28% from 21. That's the statutory rate, higher than last year's 25% proposal. Raising the Medicare surtax on income from 3.8% to 5%. That's on payroll, raising the capital gains tax rate to 39.6% from 20%, quadrupling the 1% stock buyback tax that passed only last year, a new 25% minimum tax on billionaires, which turns out to actually be on millionaires, and that proposal was 20% last year, a top new top individual tax rate to 39.6% from 37%, raising taxes on company foreign profits. And those are just the highlights, or should I say lowlights. No doubt there are many more buried in the fine print. Taxes, taxes, and more taxes. Kate, what do you make of this list? And yeah, I guess the White House must think it's smart politics. Yeah, Paul, it is a long list of tax increases. I think the top line picture of this budget is important. It's always noted that it's largely a political document that Congress will put its own prints on the budget, but it is notable of the kind of direction and policy direction that the administration is going. And here we see that long new list of taxes, 21 to 28% on the corporate rate, which Republicans worked hard to bring down to 21 in tax reform in 2017. And it's important, I think, to talk about what these taxes are. You can argue about how much, but the raise in the corporate tax, the incidence of that falls on labor. So it's really just a wage cut. But I also think, Paul, we're seeing a willingness to raise taxes quite ferociously, but also no willingness to reduce spending. So I think we can dispense with the credulous headlines about deficit reduction. What we will see here is that we will use these tax increases, however much revenue they end up yielding, to continue Biden's spending blowout. We aren't seeing any fiscal restraint here on any domestic programs. We're talking about more money to blow out the child tax credit. We're talking about pouring billions more into child care and other programs. And then the only real pay-fors in this budget are, are basically drug rationing, which is not an attractive option to solve the government's fiscal problems. So overall, Paul, I think you're seeing a budget that's a political document even more than usual, but at least does some service in showing what kind of taxes will be required to fund what Democrats would like to do. When you say pay-fors, you mean other spending reductions, right? Because the administration would say the taxes are the pay-fors. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, I'm talking about where are they willing to show some restraint? I think the taxes are a bad 
measure of pay for is because they don't always yield as much revenue as expected, especially taxes on capital. And one other thing there, Paul, is one of these taxes, they're talking about ratcheting up the Obamacare investment tax. It was set up to pay for Obamacare and passed to pay for Obamacare. And now they're double marking it and going to throw it in the Medicare trust fund. So it's basically an enormous multi-billion dollar gimmick. At 5%, it's already 3%. So, and it's applied on investment income. So, if you make money on your savings account and you make more than 400000 you pay that surtax. And 5% is getting really, really quite steep. Now, the administration claims that none of this will hit anybody who makes less than 400000 Kyle. But Biden's been rolling out that 400000 number now since the campaign in 2015. And we know that inflation in 2021 and 2022 has been roaring. That 400,000 number is an index. So right now, it's suddenly people who nominally make 400,000, but it's really probably now about 375 (laughs) because of inflation, and it'll keep going up. And in fact, just to underscore the point that Kate made about the corporate income tax, every economist left, right, center says that corporations don't pay taxes. They collect them. And the incidence of the corporate tax, the literature is pretty clear. It applies and hits some mix of workers in lower wages, shareholders in lower returns, and customers in higher prices. Yeah. And remember, one of the reasons that the Republican tax reform in 2017 lowered that corporate rate is because we were having all this talk about corporate inversions where U.S. companies were buying a company abroad and finding it to their advantage tax-wise to locate their new headquarters in the foreign jurisdiction. And so Biden's talking about taking it back up to 28%. You can go to the Tax Foundation, find the average corporate tax rate in different regions. If it's weighted by GDP in the G20 countries, average weighted tax rate, corporate tax rate is 26.2. The G7, it's 25.8. Both of those, according to my math, less than 28%. And so if you go up to that rate again, I think you're making it disadvantageous for these companies to locate their businesses and their new factories in the United States. May I add a a point about that? There is a good analysis by Dan Clifton of the Strategus Consulting Group, which makes the point that the tax increases on business from last year that were in the Inflation Reduction Act, and because the Congress did not extend the research and development tax credit, adds up to about three more percentage points increase in the corporate tax rate. In effect, that would take on top of the 28% that Biden proposed, that would take it to 31%, which would be even less competitive. And then you have to add on to that the state corporate tax rates, which varies by state, but can go as high as 8 9%. So then you're up to 40%. So this is back to making uh, U.S. corporations much less competitive, Kyle. Yeah, and on the point of the personal side and that $400,000 that Biden's been citing with these inflation figures, obviously we know that year after year, if that's his target and it's not adjusted for inflation, that will take in more people. On a similar point, my favorite part about this from Biden's framing standpoint is his minimum income tax on billionaires which, according to the terms, is not an income tax. It's more like a wealth tax because it would apply to unrealized capital gains, unsold stock, unsold art collections, and so forth, and also is not on billionaires because he's targeting it to people who are, I think, are over 100 million in assets. And so, you know, even beyond the deceptive framing on that, I think there's a constitutional issue 
of whether the U.S. federal government can even tax an unsold asset like that. But I just think that Kate hit the point right on the head, which is this is being pitched as he's raising taxes, he's lowering the deficit, but we're already not paying for the government that we have. And Biden wants to layer on top of that his whole Build Back Better agenda that he hasn't given up. I mean, I went to the Office of Management and Budget historical tables and printed them out here as one does. This is the life that we have chosen. And in terms of the economy, gross domestic product, the high in federal tax receipts since World War II was 20% in the year 2000. And spending already, again, with the government we have, 31% in 2020. That's pandemic. That's pandemic years. But even before that, 2019, 21%. It's above 20 all the way back to 2007. And so we're not paying for the government that we already have. It was 24.8% in 2022, the last fiscal year, okay? 24.8%. Biden isn't going to cut that. Right, exactly. We are not paying for the government we have. We have this Social Security and Medicare crisis coming down the pike. And here we are talking about President Biden's new plan for universal paid child care and down payment subsidies and and whatnot. Well, I want to talk about growth here. And I don't want to bore people with green eye shades numbers, although, again, I tend to do that. But let's talk about the economy, all right, and impact on the budget. What we have here, I think, Kate, is extraordinary. You have a president of the United States who is looking at an economy this year that has been remarkably resilient in the face of Federal Reserve rate increases. But nearly every economist I know is predicting a slowdown in growth just because of that interest rate effect. And his budget is going to slap it if it passed with all of these tax increases following the tax increase last year, even in the most Keynesian terms, that is, the the favorite democratic economic model, Keynesian model says, in the teeth of a recession, you don't raise taxes to reduce demand. And he's proposing that. So he's fortunate that the Republicans in Capitol Hill are not going to pass these tax increases. But it is really something to see a Democratic president proposing this and then touting it as supposedly having some kind of growth effect for the economy. Yeah, Paul, and I just note, even if Congress doesn't pass these enormous tax increases, it's still a message to investors that taxes are going one way, and that is up. I think that is really a core takeaway of this document, is how committed the left is to raising taxes, despite the damage that you lay out. I mean, we talk about green eye shades and our own budget nerd interests here, but growth is important to pretty much every area of the federal government. I mean, Biden is proposing a plan that he says will shore up Medicaid when in reality it doesn't reform the entitlement. But growth matters for our ability to fund our entitlement programs and how hard those are going to be to fix in the end when the crisis eventually comes. And it will be interesting to even see what the president says he expects growth to be over the next decade in the budget. I also think we can talk a little bit more later in this about his defense budget, but economic revitalization really matters also to America's standing in the world. So to have a world that's getting more dangerous, a what seems like could be a looming slowdown, and then to propose these large tax increases that will just dampen growth on the economy and 
last point would be to mention we have shown no seriousness about making serious reform to our arcane permitting processes or other things that are dampening capital investment. This is not a good picture. This is not a sign that America is going to be revitalized anytime soon. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the implications of the president's budget and the showdown with Republicans to come when we come back. This podcast is brought to you by Northern Trust Wealth Management. There's more to being a successful entrepreneur than just good business practices. What is it about an entrepreneur's childhood that helped fuel their entrepreneurial spirit? What are entrepreneurs doing to cultivate this spirit in their own children and build a legacy beyond their business? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with leading entrepreneurs on these topics and more. Find the Road to Why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget, you can reach the latest episode of Potomac Watch anytime. Just ask your smart speaker, play the opinion Potomac Watch podcast. That is, play the opinion Potomac Watch podcast. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Welcome back. I'm Paul Gigo with Kate Bachelor Odell and Kyle Peterson. We're talking about the president's budget proposal and what it means politically and economically. A couple of just quick points to make along the way. So far, the Congressional Budget Office came out with its spending and revenue numbers for the first five months of the year yesterday. And they showed that revenues are falling this year, already minus 4%, but outlays are up 10%. So there's no restraint at all in spending. Medicare spending up 13 percent, believe it or not. Meanwhile, interest rate expenses up on that is on interest on the federal debt up 38 percent. So that's what happens when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates. And I mention that because the Biden agenda basically is for more of that. He would say that, well, we're making it up with tax increases, but you know, tax increases never get the revenue yield that they claim because people change their behavior in the wake of those increases. So, Kyle, let's talk about the uh, showdown to come with Republicans. Republicans are, of course, saying these proposals are dead on arrival. Remember, there's a big debt ceiling showdown coming, probably July or August. Congress must raise the debt ceiling to be able to borrow more. Of course, Republicans want some spending restraints, unspecified kinds of magnitude. I think Biden is setting up with these tax proposals to try to say, all right, guys, you want to reduce the deficit? You're going to have to go along with some kind of a tax increase. He's trying to pinch the Republicans to be able to say, OK, if you want spending restraint, you got to go with tax increases, which I don't think they're going to go along with or not easily. Right. And I think what Republicans would be wise to do is take a position. What they want is spending restraint, some kind of spending caps, and then identify some specific discretionary programs where they think they can get those out. And that requires doing the hard work of going through the line items going through everything that is done by the Department of Education to pick one and finding some things that Republicans think they can make the case to the public that maybe the federal government ought not to be doing this. This is something that we can do away with. I think they also can make the argument that it's particularly after all of this pandemic spending that we're on an unsustainable fiscal path. And that President Biden's proposals are not a real solution, uh, not a real way to get off that path. Uh, Biden is always talking as if you can squeeze 
the rich and the wealthy, the millionaires and the billionaires in order to solve this problem and pay for everything he wants. And that is just simply not realistic. The other thing that I think is an interesting comparison is countries in Europe that Democrats always talk about. You know, how do they pay for these robust social safety nets? Two answers. One is that they have value added tax, VATs which are hidden throughout the economy and tax on essentially on sales, tax on sales, tax on consumption and Democrats, at least I think that would be a political loser here. And two is that they apply their higher tax rates to much lower thresholds of income. This is tax year 2020 from the tax foundation, countries like Belgium, Denmark, Netherlands, Sweden, tax rates near or above 50% applied to income in the range of $60,000, $90,000, $70,000. And I think that Republicans can go to the public and say, that's what you have to do if you want the kind of spending programs that Biden wants. And he's not telling you the truth about that. But I guess the question is, to me, Kate, the president must think tax increases are good politics. I mean, I can remember the Clinton administration where they got away with one tax increase in uh, 93 which was modest compared to what Biden is proposing. I mean, modest in the extreme compared to what Biden is proposing. And that was it. You know, Republicans took Congress and then Clinton actually cut the capital gains rate, if you can believe that, uh, uh, in league with uh, Newt Gingrich. Uh, And it yielded a lot more revenue, by the way, in the wake of that. The boom times for revenue in the late 90s with economic growth and despite that lower rate. Biden wants to raise everything across the board. He must think this is terrific politics because I guess he figures the voters won't think it applies to them, even though, as we've said, it will and it will. And to the extent it affects the economy, it certainly will affect them. I guess he figures we're going to get a lot of covering fire from the most of the press corps, which seems to like higher taxes and certainly is not going to highlight any of the issues that we've been highlighting. Yeah, I mean, to underscore your point on capital gains taxes and not expecting these taxes to increase revenue, I mean, investors can decide when to cash out and they're sensitive to rates. And you can look at analyses that show that they will cash out before the new rate kicks in or they'll wait and hold. So this is not just a revenue gusher the way we're being told. Also, I think on the political point, Biden is relying on voters not seeing through this complete shell game. And I think voters might be more astute than that. Remember when the 3.8% tax on net investment was passed through Obamacare, you know, it's just who will even notice it because it only hits the rich at $250,000 for a married couple. But now they're adding a new bracket to it. And this idea that it won't be further expanded. And also they're kicking up the rate, excuse me, adding a new bracket and kicking up the rate. So it really belies the argument that some of these taxes will never be expanded or never to come to hit anyone else. And as Kyle has written very persuasively in our pages, we're in an unsustainable tax system where we have the top 1% of earners paying more than a third of all federal income taxes. That cannot go on. 42.3% in the last year, according to the Tax Foundation. That's what they paid of the income tax, the top 1%. Now, that doesn't include the payroll tax. And that was a big increase from the year before, but a new height. But that's how much. 42.3% paid by the 1%. So you can't say that the tax code is not progressive. The other thing, Kate, you know, you mentioned that the tax on investment income, not indexed for inflation. So every year that threshold essentially goes down in real terms. 
And the capital gains tax, also not indexed for inflation. So you get inflated gains if you hold the stock for 10, 20, 30 years, as we're constantly lectured you're supposed to do. And you end up paying a very high rate on inflated gains. So the actual tax on your capital gain could be well over 50% if you consider inflation's effect, and it has a dampening effect on investment. Kyle, the political impact of the, what this says about Biden's 2024 campaign suggests to me that he is basically, he, he wants to pick a fight on Medicare and Social Security with Republicans. He wants to pick a fight over taxes with Republicans. And he's basically hedging his bets on whether Donald Trump will be the nominee, and he's aiming at Ron DeSantis. And he's going to use Ron DeSantis's votes when he was in the House of Representatives in favor of the Paul Ryan budgets, which reformed Medicare and did some things to Social Security. He's trying to run against DeSantis on those points if DeSantis gets the nomination. I think that's right, but I think there's a twofold risk here. One is that he's clearly trying to bait Republicans into putting forward some specific proposals on Social Security and Medicare, like raising the retirement age in 2070, which I think would be perfectly defensible on the merits. But that's the fight that President Biden wants to have in the 2024 election. And I understand why a Republican planning to run in 2024 would not want to choose that ground to fight on at the moment. But the other risk, I think, is that Republicans run away from any sort of substantive changes, run away from the proposals that Paul Ryan has advocated for all these many years and give people the impression that there is nothing wrong and nothing that needs to change in these programs, which is also simply not the case. I mean, given the trend line we're on, there's going to be an automatic cut in Social Security benefits of 23% in 2034, according to the latest trust fund report. And so if I were advising these Republican candidates, I think you can go to the public and level with them and say, there's a problem in these programs. If you like Social Security and you want it to be around for your kids and your grandkids the way that it has been for you, there are going to need to be some changes. We know what President Biden's plan is. It's an enormous tax increase. And, you know, we need to start thinking about how to save these programs and not totally close the door to anything and send people the message that nothing needs to be done. I think there's a danger of getting into a trap where if somebody like Ron DeSantis is elected, then we end up having a fight over how to save these programs when he's already committed to doing nothing to change the benefit structure that needs to change. Well, make that argument, Kyle. I don't know. It's going to be a tough sell for Republicans, I think, in this election cycle, particularly with Donald Trump out there saying, oh, my God, please don't touch either of these programs. So you've got a pincer action against somebody like DeSantis, Trump coming at him one direction, Biden coming at him another, the press corps coming at him from a third. And he's got Kyle Peterson on the Wall Street Journal in the rear coming up with reinforcements and the cavalry. And I know we're strong. We're influential. But boy, that is a formidable political phalanx against somebody who wants to be a reformer these days when you don't even have a united Republican Party behind you. I'm not saying I wouldn't support that agenda. I'm just saying it's going to be very heavy political lifting here in the next couple of years. But you're absolutely right. The reality is they will have to be reformed, these programs. They will eventually because they are unsustainable in their present form. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Kate. Thank you all for listening. We're here every day on Potomac Watch, and we'll be back tomorrow with another edition with maybe more news about the increased taxes you'll be paying. Oh, joy. 
Thanks for listening.